You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. Join us as we focus the spotlight back on the theater maker to uncover their process. We speak with folks in the industry that often aren't heard from. Such as stage managers, producers, crew members, marketing professionals. And everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Adrienne Campbell-Holt. I'm a freelance director and an artistic director, and I use she, her pronouns. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. I just wanted to actually start off by saying that I am so bummed that I, I literally blinked and Otherworld was, was, had left Delaware Theatre Company because I am currently in Delaware. And that I knew that was at Bucks County right before the pandemic and then shifted to Delaware. And so I was like, right, like I can still actually go see it. It's even closer now. And I blinked and it was gone. <laughs> so I'm bummed, but I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you this evening about your process a little bit. Yeah. Um, creating and and helming that show has been such a journey. Uh, we, As you mentioned, we uh, March 14th, 2020 was to be our first public performance of Otherworld. And that day never came. 
back in 2020. And so we, we really like used the time, like so many theater makers, um, we continued meeting at least once a week for the entire 23 months that we were paused. Um, and the designers and I would meet once a week, the writers and I would meet the choreographer and, you know, kept making the show stronger and stronger. So it, it felt so fulfilling to, to finally be in a rehearsal. Um, we rehearsed the show in New York City for four weeks. Um, and this was the world premiere of this musical, which is uh, by, the book is by Hunter Bell and the music and lyrics are by Anne McNamee and Jeff Bowen. The choreography is by Carla Puno Garcia. Um, and it's a super ambitious new musical I would say even much more than most new musicals are. Um, this story intersects with the the gaming world, and as a result, you know we are we are world building on stage, um, and there are avatars and um, NPCs, uh, non non player characters, um, and we are you know we meet some humans who are, who are sort of dropped into the video game. Um, and have I to imagine the, the technical aspect was, was immense. quite, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We, we really have like an incredible design team, including um, puppeteers and puppet choreographers, Atchison Walsh and uh, our video designer is Lucy McKinnon. Our costume designer is Tilly Grimes. Um, our scenic designer, Mary Hamrick, um, you know, really like creating this, this environment um, when there's no reference and it's not based on a movie. Uh, you know, this is all original um, and it's, it's sort of like the sky's the limit um, and, and your imagination is the limit uh, for, for what this world might look and feel like. So it was, uh, you know, my, my husband was sort of, you know, especially because of the pandemic, he was, he got access, he got to hear much more of the, of the design process and the um, collaboration between director, choreographer and writers uh, than he normally would have because of our one and a half bedroom apartment being the center of the action. I can't imagine directing a more challenging show. Um, and so I'm so, I'm so proud that we, we finally like did get to share it with audiences and we learned so much in the process. Um, it's a, it's a cast of 21, which is honestly, uh, one of the actors on the first day of rehearsal walked into the rehearsal room and said, Oh, this, this actually looks like a New York city subway car. And I like couldn't be more proud of that fact, <laughs> that that observation, um, because it really does uh, our cast really represented like a, an incredible range of of humans and talents and and bodies. And I think like centering stories that haven't been centered before, especially in musical theater, has been uh, super super meaningful to me. Just for some context for our listeners, can you give? I know you mentioned it was. Uh loosely about the gaming world can you give like a brief like short summary of the musical yes i will i will do my best i like to rely on my uh sort of visual pitch decks um but but yes the spiel is essentially um shri and lorraine are two humans and uh they are they're uh 
unexpectedly transported into Shree's favorite video game, which is called Otherworld. And uh, once they're inside of the game, they're sort of racing against the clock and they have to work together and connect with other gamers who've, uh, who Shree has uh, sort of worked closely with in the past to, uh, to find their way out. And it's, you know, it's very much like a piece that is about found family and um, the connections we make on and offline and uh, how using our, our independence and our unique gifts and perspectives is like the we are more than the sum of our parts when a director takes on a piece uh, especially like something at least for me if i was to direct something or work on something about gaming my first thing would be well, i'm not really familiar with the gaming world is that something you were familiar with going into this so you know hunter bell loves to kind of point out that uh even people who are playing Wordle on their phone or, uh, you know, playing like Angry Birds, like, like those, those are games too. Um, and I, my, my um, sort of early experiences with gaming were much more in the like computer programming, like Oregon Trail, um, kind of, you know, certainly like Super Mario, like old school games. And, because I have a uh, a much younger brother, um, you know, he's he's like seventeen years younger than me. Um, I think, and and I have you know young cousins and and friends. I was really fascinated by the things that that the next generation was sort of becoming obsessed with, and and kind of um, engaging with in ways that my generation had not um you know i think it's it's really mystifying to like watch um gamers use headsets to communicate with other gamers who are uh who they've never met irl uh in real life and they are they have this sense of community um because they're in this like shared pursuit of um some some mission or objective um and they they obviously have like a shared passion for this game um and they they might spend hours at a time like communicating in sort of like parallel play and it's and it's just sort of like a foreign language to me and i think actually my um almost like outsider status as a non-gamer really helped me give the non-gamers in the audience like a way in um one of one of the primary characters in the story is a non-gamer and so there's there is that like surrogate for the audience um and you know i think i was also like able to kind of do do my homework and and really dive deep into a, a like wide range of games and and like pull from different games like what was going to serve our particular story well and also um what really excited me most visually or like sonically um and and you know feel kind of uh uncomplicated about like borrowing all my favorite things from other games so with new work where you don't really have anything or original work where you don't have anything to base it off of you're really creating it from the ground up the world the the characters, the, the the lines that are being spoken or sung, and then also mix with a topic where you might not be familiar with, like gaming, 
where it might involve require you to do some more research beforehand. Do you find that process freeing because, you know, the sky's the limit or is it very intimidating to the fact of like, you're not sure like what step is in the right direction? Sure, sure. So I I do um, primarily direct new work and world premieres and I feel super inspired and kind of energized by um, that collaboration with the writers and creating that language and the the visual landscape for the shows for the first time. And in this case, yeah, I mean, the um, the amount of collaboration interdepartmentally to find a cohesive aesthetic that like felt like it was made by in this case like two of the characters who are in our show were the game creators so like this world has to look like it was made by like two hands and not 30 um so so we actually had a workshop back in may 2021 um that we called our materials workshop where we were really focused on like finding the aesthetic and what like actual like fabrics and textures and lighting um, instruments and um, uh, you know atmospheric in, uh, effects and uh, scenic surfaces and 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 textiles and all of those things like would cohere in a in a theater, which is so much harder than like if we were working digitally or in film and we would be applying filters to things like how do we how do we like sort of do that for the audience um so it, it, at times it was daunting um but i also find myself like most excited by that finding the common language for the first time with with my team yeah i love to hear the director like kind of hear from the director specifically on what goes through their mind when creating a world because it really i mean i obviously it comes from a collaboration especially with the writers but i often feel like the directors really have like a vision that's built under something so that that's awesome so speaking of um writers and your relationship with the writers um i know that you're working out in seattle right now on a new musical um so we can talk about that one as well since you're in you know a more of, of a current process with that. Um, or we could talk about Otherworld as well. But I'm curious, with your relationship with the writers, especially since most, if not all of the work that you do is on new original work, what's that process like in shaping the world, shaping the, the characters? What's that like in the earlier days? You know, I, I do find each process pretty distinct. And that has a lot to do with the personalities and sort of like styles of the of the writers involved I appreciate even sort of for my own life like having a variety of people I'm working closely with that that you know if one writer is like a little more intense and and maybe requires more time and and sort of energy then it's helpful if a writer on a different project is a little lower maintenance <laughs> in terms of the engagement. And I find on musicals, especially because there are so many more collaborators versus plays, in some ways it, it takes 
some of the pressure off the director to, you know, even in a rehearsal process, like when you're directing a new play, it's always you who's in charge. And the reality of that, as someone like trying to balance work and life, it's sometimes exhausting to to be like kind of managing people and uh it can be difficult to even like find time to sort of like review sound cues or review um, fitting photos or review uh, kind of seating arrangements or, you know, things from a, a, a any of the designers, et cetera. Whereas in a new musical, um, because the music director has, you know, requires time where they're in charge of making sure that the cast is learning their music and um, sort of talking through all of that. And the choreographer needs time. In some ways, there's almost like a three-headed balance of power. And and that's something that can be really helpful when uh, the project is so large in scope that, you know, I have hundreds of emails every day to just to just respond to um, and like sort of decisions that need to be made. And I can uh, go do a shop visit because I trust that um, the time in rehearsal will be used, you know, sort of efficiently. And I guess in terms of my collaboration with playwrights, I really do love working with people over and over again, uh, just because the, the kind of um, trust and kind of shared appreciation of like artistic values that you build over time is so so rewarding and you know one playwright who um i worked with you know more often earlier in my career but i i really love so much and hope to work with again soon is the playwright steven levinson um who you know of course wrote dear evan hansen he he wrote the first play that cult core produced which we created together as a company which was called seven minutes in heaven and uh you know he and i partly due to the the realities of our lives as younger folks like we would have the the luxury of seeing a lot of theater and art together and being able to talk about it and talk about like what moved us and excited us and or and what we what we like didn't care for and um, you know, artists that we wanted to work with and that we, we like wanted to like create work for. Um, and, and that helps so, so much and makes it so much more fun that, you know, you really then feel like you're just um, hanging out with your friends, which <laughs> is what we all want to do. Right. I love that kind of like tidbit that you shared of like going to see theater with people that either you want to collaborate with or are collaborating with because those conversations present itself, whereas it might not present itself in other scenarios where you're maybe not seeing theater together. I love that. I yeah, never thought about it yeah. like that. Do you think that that informs the way that you guys work together? Oh, enormously. What are the trends in that kind of stuff? When you go see somebody with a fellow theater maker, does it – does it spark ideas based on your conversations after you've seen the play and you're, you're debriefing about what you just saw and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm interested in that topic and, and I really like this design element, that kind of storytelling and picture really 
draws me in. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. I think when you are getting jazzed by the same material and like know that you have um, taste and, and where that taste intersects, it really helps you find a shorthand even in the rehearsal process or even before rehearsals in the development of a script um, to say like, um, you know, one of the writers I'm working with right near now is Natalie Margolin, who's a playwright and actor and you know, we, we just have this rent running document where we are sharing things that like are, are piquing our interest or curiosity. And sometimes it's, it might be like a 10 second sequence of a television series or, um, a song or a, um, even like a podcast or an article and just like, like knowing that that something about that was exciting to the other person helps us get to know each other as as artists as humans and um, gives us lots of ideas for for like things that we can explore in this play that we're making together. And do you like having the writer in the room while you're directing, or would you rather pick and choose when you have them there? It depends on their energy. <laughs> I mean, different playwrights bring different energies. So I I I. S- fully like appreciate having them in the room at least some of the time. I think it's really difficult for them to be patient during tech. So I think it's a hard time to have them there. I find it super helpful to kind of prepare the playwright for the process and my approach and kind of preemptively let them know uh, what kinds of feedback I welcome at which points um, and kind of helping them trust that uh, I will be very excited to hear their feedback at this later date um, usually gives them, you know, enough kind of confidence in knowing that they will be heard um, and also like take some of the pressure off them to not worry that they have to like, love the thing at that moment. Uh, And and I find it honestly like super helpful that many of the playwrights that I am fortunate to work with, they either have seen and and enjoyed my work in the past uh, and they have respect for me as as a director or they are uh, someone who um, like are purposefully working with a director that they haven't worked with before. And they're really like sort of trying to push themselves stylistically. Uh, And so they have really, I think in, in those cases, like kind of appreciated the fact that that our tastes are slightly different and that this may be an opportunity for them to, um, for their work to turn out differently because uh, my vision may be a little bit different than their original or, or sort of like vision historically. So it's quite literally like trusting the process on both sides. I mean, there's a lot of trust that goes around in collaborations, but yes, yeah, that's so interesting. It's so cool how different playwrights like bring so much and bring so much of themselves to the the work in the room. And I I feel like I'm constantly learning and growing and evolving because of the 
collaborators that I'm lucky enough to like share space with. So how are you meeting new writers? I know you have your your theater company, which I'm sure you're, you know, meeting lots of new artists that way. But are there other ways that you're networking and meeting new new writers, new collaborators? Yes. You know, to be honest, the uh, sort of balance of my life has shifted a little bit in the last, I mean, pandemic aside, um, in the last few years as I've had young children and my availability to go and kind of seek out readings and workshops and evenings at the theater um, have been reduced and I've had to be like much more efficient in terms of the uh, time I'm spending getting to new, know new people. But I, I do think that like it's a real priority of mine and especially as a director of new work and an artistic director, I'm uh, – I feel like it's it's a huge part of my job to be familiar with the uh, the like young crop of playwrights and the playwrights who we're learning about uh, because they have a workshop that's happening in a grad school or happening in some uh, city in America that people are talking about and. So, you know, things like Twitter or features in in various like theater publications definitely like turn me on to people, to, you know, artists sometimes. And I tend to like really try to follow who are the um, resident playwrights and directors at the, the companies that are, you know, also interested in supporting emerging artists, you know, companies like Club Thumb, P73, Ars Nova. Um, you know, I I feel like we all take turns like introducing each other to to cool writers and directors. That's great. I also think that's a good tip for all of our listeners out there because I know networking is always something that, that comes up in our conversations with guests here on the podcast. But I think especially the pandemic and everything that shifted everyone's mindset of like what it means to network and how we network, um, not even just speaking like virtually or in person, but I mean a little bit more in depth, but like, how do we balance our like work life? How do we fit that in now? Because we've all kind of had this like shift in mentality of like priorities, quite honestly. So thank you yep. for sharing that. Um I wanted to just talk about this because I, I read this in your on your website. So I'm curious, you've had quite a unique privilege in shadowing many notable directors in theater and in TV. And I think my favorite piece that I read was how you were Ellen Pompeo's stand-in for season one of Grey's Anatomy. So I'm sure through that experience, you had the opportunity to to just observe all of the like, all of these directors come through week after week um, and the, the work that they're doing. Is that something that you utilize in your own work now? Are you um, encouraging young emerging theater makers, directors, or, or otherwise shadow you? Do you think it's a good way for young people to to learn and kind of build their own process in directing? Definitely, yes. I I think um, our industry and and art form are extremely. Uh, well served by the the people who are coming up, um, getting to spend time as a fly on the on the wall in in this process. And um, personally, I always have an assistant director or an associate director. I didn't go to grad school. I um, I 
spent basically a, like a year being an assistant and an associate um, and actually like sleeping on people's couches in order to make that feasible financially, um, which was a real adventure. Um, but like I learned so much and I kind of feel like that was my grad school. And I'm extremely grateful to the directors who who I got to work with during that time. Um, Annie Kaufman, Jack O'Brien, Michael Greif, Alex Timbers. Um, and, you know, I... I feel like that is my paying it forward now is to, is to be a mentor. Um, and frankly, the emerging directors who have, you know, sat next to me have like offered me such great insight and like warmth and, and, uh, have have like brought incredible intellect to the processes and I've been so impressed with them. Uh, and I, I think that sometimes people think that networking or kind of like being, uh, being in that role is asks of you like a, a kind of confidence or, uh, you know, like you should be like schmoozing people or, you know, talking and, and, you know, imparting your wisdom. <laughs> and, and like, I, I think one of the things that I really felt like I honed at Grey's Anatomy is um, actually sometimes being silent allows you to like truly be a sponge and it allows you to be present sometimes when, um, if you were maybe a little bit louder of a presence, um, people would stop talking around you. <laughs> but by actually like having a low profile, you really like get to kind of truly have that like fly on the wall quality. And uh, honestly, uh, sometimes like theater director, young theater directors who like really want to assert who they are, like that is just like not what a room needs. Um, because there are already so many cooks in the kitchen um, and personalities in theater. And like, it's really, it's really valuable to, to like trust that, uh, you know, your, your presence is appreciated, but like, you don't need to uh, necessarily like take up a lot of space or air in the room. Do you find yourself emulating any of the directors that you've worked with um, in an associate capacity or assisting? And how do you pick and choose really what you might borrow from those artists? I admire those artists so much and I think about them, you know, frequently and I like love them as humans too. Um, and, and they're all like friends um, that I stay in touch with. And I also think like I'm very different than each of them. I mean, one thing that I, I was thinking about in, a few weeks ago was about how I assisted Annie Kaufman in 2008 and nine. So I was a much younger person then, and she was a younger person. And uh, I was so struck at that time by her comfort in or how comfortable she was like admitting that she didn't know or she didn't have an answer yet. And I've enjoyed accepting that in my own <laughs> rehearsal rooms. Uh, I think when you're earlier in your career, you're sort of almost like self-conscious about not having the answer. So you're like, I must have the answer. I shall have the answer. And, and in fact, there's like great wisdom in acknowledging that, you know, you don't know and, uh, and 
the answer will come, but it's, it's not there yet. Um, and I, you know, I, I think about how, uh, Jack O'Brien is so brilliant as an orator and, uh, you know, his, the speeches that he gives like on the first day or, um, on the opening night are, are legendary. And, uh, I, I just try to like bring like a tiny fraction of his wit to my like remarks on, on the, at the meet and greet on the first day. And so, you know, I, and I smile thinking about how he would just be so, uh, he's so com I mean, he, he should have been president. He, he could like easily, uh, have been elected president. Um, and, you know, actually one thing I did really learn a great deal from was, um, the way that Alex Timbers, uh, kind of creates visual reference, uh, decks for designers or actually he, I don't know if he did decks, but, uh, I I do PowerPoints for every show I'm working on and I find like presenting them to every member of the of the team like including the box office staff and the education department and all of every single person like does really hopefully um help impart my vision for the piece to all of those people and since all of those people are part of like this bringing the show to the audience um it feels extremely important to do that and kind of giving making it show and tell uh helps kind of i'm i'm someone who like doesn't love to pontificate um in the best like i mean those people pontificating has a slightly negative connotation i mean more like um you know speak eloquently at, at length um I, I love like showing images and showing um, film clips or, you know, sharing research that also like gives people a, a sense of uh, my take without um, it only being me talking. There are a lot of intangibles, I think, about how people get work in the theater. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, um, as when you're an associate or assisting a director, why do you think that you're brought in to work with them? And I'm sure it's different for every person that you've worked with, but maybe if you have an example that you want to share to use to uh, kind of answer this, if you can. Well, I, um, so the, the last show that I was in associate on was Dear Evan Hansen. And um, that production was, you know, Stephen was the writer and, you know, a good friend and close collaborator. Michael was the director, another good friend and former, you know, I, I had a, been an assistant or an associate for him like 10 years before that almost. Um, and I really like was not doing associate work anymore. But I, I think that Stephen knew that the sensibility of the show would really appeal to me. I also recognize that it was like a heavily male team. Um, and I think they were very interested in being sure that uh, there was a, a female perspective, especially um, making sure that the, the kind of language and perspectives of the female characters felt um, heard and, and integrated um, in a balanced way. And, you know, I think because I, run a downtown theater company. Like I have a lot of experience working with actors in, um, sometimes like 
short processes or, um, you know, kind of like on new work that may be difficult for any number of reasons. So um, knowing that this was a show that had a like extremely young cast primarily and that many of them were making their Broadway debuts and um, on subject matter that was, you know, sometimes really harrowing or, or vulnerable. Um, I think they trusted me to, to be a collaborator and like really respect their vision. And also like they could trust that I could kind of like represent um, and, and reflect back their vision. And I was like, selfishly, I was really aware of how that show like didn't necessarily seem like a obvious commercial success um, when it was produced. And so I was drawn to like getting to know the people who were passionate about making that show a Broadway show because I felt like there was a, a higher chance that they would be a, a kind of potential fit for projects of mine down the road where um, it doesn't necessarily seem like a commercially viable or super hit show. And then it was, and then it was a hit. Yes. What would you say that your mission statement is as a theater maker or a director? My mission is to create a container that holds the playwright and the composer and the designers that like to be a ship for all of the visions of those artists and to be sure that it's a ship that feels secure and safe and and like held to bring that work forward to an audience and to like kind of steer with with clarity and trusting that my vision is that I'm like braiding all of those people's input, um, but but really like honoring the impulse in me uh, so that there is like a real like thrust of a single vision. Um, and that, you know, I think the ship metaphor feels right because I do take great care around being sure that there's a sense of community with the teams that I'm, I'm bringing together um, and that we are really like taking care of each other as humans and as artists. I love that. What do you say we move into our lightning round? Let's do it. Okay. What is one thing in the theater industry that confuses you? Doing things the same old way they've always been done. The theater loves tradition. What are three adjectives that describe your ideal working environment? Warm, fun, food. Is there something in your process that you find unique to you? I think because I was a dancer first, I love to um, move around and sometimes like walk through the characters uh, blocking in order to uh, feel more connected and like have more specific ideas. Do you have any books or resources that you find helpful to your process? I love Anne Bogart's book on directing. That's one of my favorites. Um, I also loved like, you know, Artaud's book, Peter Brooks' book, all the books that you get to read in college. <laughs> what is one job in the theater industry that you would trade jobs with for one week? Lighting designer. What is one hobby that you have outside of theater? Running. And our final question, what is the last great piece of theater that you saw? 
I, my theater going has been, has been down. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is the Lehman trilogy. I, I loved the design and the staging and the pianist and so much of that so much. So many people loved that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that was a, that was an answer. I had problems with it too. <laughs> there was a lot to love okay. for a director, especially. Nice. Well, thank you so much. How can our listeners find you online and your show? Um, I'm online at adriancampbellholt.com. Uh, my theater company is coltcore.org, C-O-L-T-C-O-E-U-R.org, uh, uh, like the the heart of a French, little French horse. Um, and I, yeah, come check out afterwards. Uh, we're at the Fifth Avenue Theater. We run April 29th through May 21st. Nice. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of page to stage to keep up with us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at page to stage podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it. If you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.